welcome to the very first edition of the Odd Job Pod, um, which is basically a podcast about James Bond. Uh, I'm a huge fan of James Bond. My name's Gary Andrews. My um, co-podcaster, Terry DeFellin, is also a huge fan of James Bond. Uh, so we thought we'd meet up in a pub and talk about James Bond. Uh, this could go incredibly well or it could go incredibly badly, but, you know, we've got enough Bond love, enough Bond knowledge to hopefully um, inspire, get you talking and just basically spread a bit of Bond love, to be honest. We're all about the Bond love. We certainly are. Um, I won't say that we like a good bit of bondage because that would just be wrong, but... Um, not, 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 not in each other's company, anyway. No, no, exactly not. Um, so, for this first pod, we, we're going to talk about an area of Bond, which is a, is a huge part of the Bond canon. Um, but also something which inspires a lot of uh, uh, strong opinions from a Bond-loving community. Polarises opinions, I think Ab- it's fair to say. Absolutely, and, and that is Roger Moore. Roger Moore. The, the films of Roger Moore and his, um, his collection. Now, um, as I've mentioned to Terry in the past, I, I was brought up strictly as a Connery man. My father really did not like Roger Moore. He didn't like him in The Saints. He didn't like him as James Bond, so I was kind of told, no, no, Roger Moore is, is not that. But then a lot of other friends I've got who, who are fans of James Bond love Roger Moore. They think he's the best Bond. Um, I can't quite see it myself, but I do have some some moments of more that I absolutely love. Um, Terry, what's your thoughts on Roger? Well, Roger is my Bond. Um, the, the, the first James Bond film I went to see at the cinema was Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, I'm a little bit older than you, Gary, and so I was was a, a, a wee boy and I was taken to see uh, The Spy Who Loved Me and I loved it. I, it wasn't the first James Bond film I'd seen, I should stress, but it was the first James Bond film I saw at the cinema. And so consequently, I have um, a good deal of, 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 of love for Roger Moore, but I do acknowledge that his films are largely flawed. To put it, to well, put it, yeah. In some instances, they're they're, they're they're dreadful, but in other instances, they're they're not dreadful, and in some cases, they're they're, they're pleasantly dreadful. Um, but I, I, I do enjoy pretty much watching all of them. Well, I mean, for me, the, there's kind of I mean, I guess we kind of start at the bottom and move up for me. We can start from the first one, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, the first one was Live and Let Die. Which um, to me actually is the one Roger Moore film where where I, I still enjoy. I'll still watch. I still think it's a it's quite a well plotted film. It, it provides a nice transition from the Connery era through to the Roger Moore era, um, and it's got elements you can see where they're kind of going to go in the future with Roger Moore playing up to slightly more comedic character and, and a slightly more cliche character. But it's it's almost got that still kind of rough raw edge that you had with the Connery films. Hmm. It is a little bit more rough around the edges, I agree, yeah. Um, I think Roger's movies are, 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 are sort of personified with him being much more suave, a little bit more public schoolboyish. But I don't think that's quite present there. I think there's quite a lot. I, know, I don't know how much you watched of the, the Saint. Probably not much, given that your dad didn't like it. But no, it wasn't one that I really There is a bit of, of that, a bit of Simon Templar in there. There's also some killer one-liners in there. There's the there's well there's the well it's not a one liner but there's the, the the warning sign trespassers will be eaten which is which is one of the best which is a real sign 
Yeah, because in that farm where they filled the crocodile farm, that sign is absolutely real. Um, and of course, there's uh, there's the line that by uh, Mr. Big, which is means is for tombstones, baby, which is I, uh, <laughs> which I really really love. Um, it's a bit suspect in some areas. Yes, you, of the content. Not um, exactly the most politically correct no. of Bond films, and this is speaking about Bond, which is not the most politically correct. By no means. Yeah, no, by no means. But it does move into areas. I mean, I mean, similarly, I don't know. I don't know. We've never discussed the books, Gary. And we're only talking about the films, but uh, maybe at some point we will talk about books. But the book brings out the worst in Ian Fleming. Uh, and Ian Fleming has has been criticised for his views, but many people will accept, you know, uh, his, his his some of, some of the stuff that comes in, in his books as, as being in context and, and of, of its time. Living and die is a little bit hard to live with, uh, and so interestingly, it's you know it, 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 that's been translated a little bit with the film. But I think by and large, they do a good job. Yafet Koto is brilliant. Always good good to have a good villain, uh, and he is a really really good villain. And he has a brilliant death as well. I think that that to me just an exploding, you know, yeah, him up and exploding him up and to a balloon and exploding him is really really good. Never. But what's your views on Jane Seymour? I mean, we, we have to be careful here because we don't wish to. I know we're talking about James Bond, but we don't wish to uh, objectify women here. But so, so we must be, you know. Yeah, you know. I, I never. I think actually, for me, she was probably the one aspect of living like die, which I, I. I never kind of quite took her as a Bond girl, mm. to be honest. I never. Very young. Yeah, it, it just. To me, there was something about maybe it was the casting of her just didn't seem to quite fit the role because you had the potential for a very good Bond girl there and the elements just for me just didn't quite hang together with Jane Seymour. Do you think it's the best Roger Moore film? It's I think it's probably the one that it's probably the one that I can watch repeatedly it's probably the one that for all its flaws and, and for all its, its problems in terms of if you look at back in the prism of, of the current era and you go, it's not the most politically correct of them for all that it's the one I probably enjoy the most just as a kind of a film is it the best one? I'm not sure whether you, you'd say it's the best but it's certainly for me one that I I enjoy. Very memorable film. Yeah. Not least because of the music. And interestingly, they took a departure in terms of the music because it wasn't the John Barry soundtrack, it was in fact George Martin, who I'm sure many listeners will know George Martin is a, actually a producer more than he is a composer. And of course, he produced uh, many of the Beatles albums, including Sgt. Pepper's and the White Album and Revolver. Some, some really seminal work he, he produced back then. And he he uh, composed the, the music for Living and Die, and it's an absolutely cracking, cracking soundtrack. Uh, it's, I it's love John worth, Barry. It's a worthy, worthy oh, yeah, so, more than worthy. Yeah, I mean so John Barry's work. I'm not a big fan of actually Paul McCartney or Wings's theme tune, actually. But 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 I love John Martin's soundtrack. John Martin's soundtrack. George Martin's soundtrack. And in many ways, it's you know it's a really nice, refreshing break from from John Barry's stuff. But, but I you know, as I'm sure listeners, if they listen to a subsequent podcast, will, will 
hear much of my John Barry love. I, I think it's quite interesting, just on the deviation on the soundtracks, very slightly, is that um, my, um, I mean, a lot of people, not the friends that I have, really, really like the song. They don't really actually, it's, um, they, a lot of them actually forget that it was part of the film. And I think that's quite interesting, the theme tune, by that stage, I mean, when you think of Bond theme tunes, you know, Goldfinger, Belter, and it, it's intertwined with the film, Thunderball mm. as well, mm. you know, very much intertwined with the film, yes, Diamonds are Forever as well. Divas and crooners has but, been domin- dominated the, 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 up to that point. And but, Paul McCartney and Wings yeah, gave it something different, and, and all good. The fact that I think a lot of people will probably listen to that song out of context, you know, will listen to it and perhaps mm. won't even think well, maybe of Bond the Axl Rose version as well. Exactly. Um, it, 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 even though, I mean, this is something which I never thought I'd hear myself say. I, my um, my girlfriend loves X Factor, and I was forced to. I've been forced to watch the right, series. Don't worry. We're talking um, about James Bond. Everything's fine. And Kitty Brucknell's version of Living That Tie was surprisingly good. No, um, I, I, I was genuinely, genuinely surprised to see myself ever saying that. I turned around after the end of the performance, and I think it's one of those brilliant tracks that can be moulded because it's it's got that kind of era, but it's also got that adaptability. For, for any um, any any performer to want to do, and I think that's quite interesting because although it's an iconic song, you can't really see anybody else doing Goldfinger or other than Shirley Bassey for me. No, that's and, fair. And same with Thunderball. I don't see anybody other than Tom Jones doing no, Thunderball. Martin Fry had a crack at Thunderball on David Arnold's Taken and Stirred album, mm. um, and, and it was okay. But it wasn't great. Dave, Dave, David McCormick did um, Dimes Are Forever. Forever which was brilliant. That was probably that the best, but it was kind of slightly pretty behind you living a day, which is quite good as yeah, well. Yeah, I was. It's all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big pretenders fan, but I'm, yeah. I wasn't. You can see how it works. Yeah. yeah, 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 that was good. And that's a cracking album. Mm. We'll talk about that album on another podcast. Mm. We should get back to Roger. Yes, indeed. I mean, after living that day, you had the man with the golden gun. You did. Um, which there was a quite a long break. I think it was four year gap. Yeah. The two and for me, I mean. If um, if Living Dead Die is the one that I kind of perhaps can watch the most, The Man with the Golden Gun is just enjoyable fun. Mm. It, it's kind of, it, they've moved, for me, they've moved it onto a slightly lighter area, but it's that point where it hasn't quite jumped the shark, if you like, um, no. although probably well, eaten by sharks we've had <laughs> earlier in, in the series. <laughs> um, many times, but it, it, it just about, to me, that's kind of, for me, The Man with the Golden Gun is a bit like Connery's Goldfinger in that it's kind of found where it should be, and from then on, I don't think it ever quite got back to where where it should have Massive been in the series. What's your, I mean, it's, um, I think probably it's strongest element is is Christopher Lee. Yes, Scaramanga. Uh, that was a, I mean, Scaramanga is a fascinating character. I mean, this, I mean, when they when they were talking about him in the in the early stages of the movie, and they were, I mean, extremely mysterious. I being, being, I remember being really captivated by the idea of this character, a, a, a man with three nipples <laughs> um, who had a golden gun and he was a dead shot assassin. He only needed one bullet. Very menacing, of course. Perfect casting because Christopher Lee, who 
has really played many roles in his life, but obviously most people will remember him for Dracula, for the horror villain, the kind of aloof, incredibly scary, very, very vicious, very dangerous sort of you know um, character, all controlling as well. And there's elements of that, with the control that he had over Maud Adams, for instance, um, in, in in that film. The fact that you know he insisted on making love to beforehand, and when he had that really quite nasty bed scene where he's using his gun as a phallus um, with her. It's quite brutal, um, in fact, if you think about it. And, uh, and I thought he was absolutely perfect for that. And then, of course, charming and avuncular towards the end of the movie, when, when, when the two are confronted. Um, I have a bit of an issue with Sheriff J.W. Pepper. <laughs> I think many people who, who like the film may have an issue with I mean, Sheriff Jesus. Okay he was okay in the, in, in the boat chase in Never Let Die, which we didn't talk about there, but we can talk about now. But, and there's, but there's an element of Smoke in the Bandit about him that I just didn't, I just didn't really like. Uh, and, and that whole sort of like boat chase uh, wasn't great. Uh, the car chase that followed it wasn't great. And the, and the, and the, and the flying car I thought was a bit crap. And I also think that Britt was, although she's a very beautiful woman, I don't think she's a very good actress. I think, for me, Britt Eklund was kind of... If, if I might bring Plato in at this stage, please, podcast, please. You, you, <laughs> no Bond podcast should be complete without a reference to Plato. Um, yeah, obviously, Plato's theory of, you know, the perfect, you know, if you take me down the very stupid level, which some people do, the perfect table, the perfect chair. To me, I think a lot of people might have, if you've written down what a perfect Bond woman was, you might have come up with Brit Eklund, but it doesn't kind of work no. because you've not got the nuances around what makes a good Bond woman. You, you, you could probably sort of make a list, tick everything, and protect you beyond that list, and then you can, but then you kind of look and go, well, it works, but it, it, it doesn't work. No. It, it's kind of, you know, it, it's about three steps removed from weird she, science. There's an awful lot wrong, well, yes, I mean, in many ways, I mean, this is, I mean, there's an awful lot wrong with with the way that women are portrayed in James Bond films. I mean, women are, let's not beat about the bush, women are portrayed as sex objects in James Bond films, there's no getting around that. Brit Eklund was probably the worst example of that, or the best example of that, depending on your point of view. Um, I thought, on the other hand, that the uh, that Maud Adams was had a, a lot more depth to it, very yeah. lovely, um, and and you know there was but because her character was a little bit more interesting. You, you kind of again, you kind of felt that they they almost felt like they didn't need to round off Rosetta's character. Mm. They were just quite content for her to be the yeah. Bond girl, hope and hope. And hopeless, and, yes. that, and that's not good. Whereas, although Maud Adams uh, played the uh, ultimately the, the, vic- the victim in all of this, and, and that's not good. But but you know, you felt that there was a way that she carried herself and she knew what she was doing. And of course, the, act- the, the actress was Maud was, was was retained for Octopussy, which I think was brilliant because she was I thought that she was very good in that and a good plus point in that for kind of coming on to. It. Yeah, absolutely. But I, mean, I think um, Man of the Golden Gun. It's a decent film. I love the fun palace. That was a nice scene. We haven't talked about Knickknack. No, it, it's one of those ones which yeah. you kind of feel it's 
it's it's the it's the same territory as living that die, yeah, isn't it? Where you suspect you just go, yeah, what's going on here? Yeah, and he puts him in a suitcase. That's not good, really. No, no. They don't. When they say they don't make films like that anymore, it's probably just as well. Although, I mean, if, if we, let, I mean. We, we, I think we can put Nick to one side, not in the suitcase, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 there's many things wrong with that. But I was just thinking in terms of the ending as well, uh, of the kind of, you know, going through the head, the villain's headquarters in the maze. Mm. That to me is kind of a wonderful Bond, Bond ending. And it, it fitted as well because it's not a kind of, you know, a lot of the Bond villains have a wonderfully overblown death. But the, the, the no. death for Scaramanga felt is it, so appropriate. The he died in the way that assassins usually yeah. do meet their age. He was shot with a single bullet through the heart, and there is something there's something right about that. That ending. he was tricked and duped as well. Absolutely. Um, so he was he was he was outplayed. So you're you you know reasonably you're yep. a fan. Yeah. Yep. 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 Then after that we come to the spy who loved mm, your favourite film. <laughs> it's not. This is where for me <laughs> it starts. Like I can watch *The Spy Who Loved Me*. I think it starts to unravel. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is for me is the point where I, and I think this might be where my dad sort of started to unravel for him because I think if you put him in a room and, and, and press him, he probably quite. I think he probably quite likes *Living Let Die*. Mm. *Man with the Golden Gun* it's okay, mm. but *The Spy Who Loved Me* and it's just it, it it's gone into. It, it's gone from Bond's always had this kind of element of ridiculousness and, and the kind of escapism. I mean, I guess to a certain extent it was already sort of done in um, You Only Live Twice with the volcano there, but even that had just about an element of not going completely over the Didn't top. Didn't go totally off the rails. No. This it, film did, did leave the chart, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's it went off the me, chart and threw the chart out the window as well, in fact. Yeah. And that, that's my biggest problem. I think this, I mean, I love, actually, weirdly, I love the underwater. Car and mm-hmm. that was well, the Lotus Esprit. Of yeah, course, yeah, brilliant. I mean, and I mean, I was well. I mean, I was. Well, I don't know how old was I? Young. I was a child. And uh, and, and 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 the Lotus Esprit was was. You know, I had a, my own toy Lotus. I, I had one of them as well, actually. And uh, you pressed a button and it turned into a submarine. It was fantastic. Seriously cool. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, Roger looked great in it, and he wore those fantastic blue blazers as well. And there's some lovely fight sequences in there. The pyramids, the the, the, the bit when when uh, Fakesh is being hunted down by Jaws uh, in, amongst the, the pyramids. It, well, that show's going on. It's really dramatic. Um, the uh, ski chase at the beginning of the film. That that is a that's a classic, is, iconic, yeah, brilliant Bond moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, obviously the stunt guy who skis off the cliff and pulls his shoot. I mean, how that guy survived that experience, I never know, but he did, and it remains an iconic moment. Um, there's a great, there's a brilliant one-liner as well. But James, I need you. So does England, which uh, which is which is fantastic. There is an awful lot to really like about that film and get terribly affectionate. But if you look at it objectively, that's I think, nonsense. I think the thing for me that says a lot about the spy who loved me, and I know we're going to come on to the, to the next film in the series in a, in a minute, but I actually find a lot of it very forgettable. It doesn't stick in my memory very often. And I think that, for me, says as much about the film as anything else, in that it's not 
necessary to the ridiculousness of the film, although there's a lot in there. It's quite often, I, I mean, I've, I've watched it many times, and I keep coming back to it and go, did I fall asleep? Did I miss that bit? <laughs> there's something about it that's just... I think that's trouble. Most Bond films are memorable in some way or another. Yeah. And for me, I remember the beginning and I remember the end and yeah. the middle. You must remember the car chase. Oh, I remember the car chases. Yeah. It, the car chase is one. And the, yeah. And then when he's driving up out of the beach and yeah. dropping out the little fish. That, that's a wonderful Bond moment. <laughs> yeah, and looking up at these guys and say, "Well, what?" Yeah. I mean, that, and also, I mean, whilst I, I decry Roger Moore for a cape for on many occasions being like and too comedic and not, not quite what you're expecting Bond. On the other hand, that that's a wonderfully quintessential Bond moment. I don't you could see Connery quite no, pulling off as well as Roger Moore does. does. And it's, it's a kind of little little aspect of it, which but I mean, and also I mean the villain's lair in that is although it's ridiculous, it's also quite brilliant mm. as well. Yeah. The, the underwater city. Yeah. yeah, no, it is a fantastic notion. Uh, and I mean although it was made before Star Wars. Um, it, 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 I wonder whether or not perhaps it has got this kind of idea of that, maybe, you know, we're talking in the late 70s and people's idea of, of villain of villainry being huge, being on a massive scale, the idea of people being able to construct huge empires under everybody's noses. Really interesting to like subtext. We should talk about Jaws. Yes. I'm, I, I have mixed feelings on Jaws. Yeah. Scared the witties out of me when I was a boy. Yeah, he, he's, he's that thing where he's a bri- Actually, I think he's a brilliant character. I think he's a really wonderful creation. He's quite an iconic creation as well. He's just in comp- the wrong films. If you took him and put him in some other film or some other series, he would be magnificent. I think the problem is they, they've come up and they've gone, this is a brilliant psychic supervillain. This is wonderful. And yes, it is. But also, because they love, you can tell they love the character so much, they, that's his downfall. He's so good in his construction that I think they, there's so many problems arise from what he is. Because, again, he's kind of, he ticks all the boxes of perfect Bond villain. You have the, the I- henchman. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. The um, well, reminiscent of Ob Job, isn't it? Yeah. Which this podcast is named after. Because he's got the affectation, hasn't yeah. he? He's got the teeth. Ob Job had the hat. Jaws has got the teeth. But I think there's there's that kind of slight level of ridiculousness which permeates throughout the film mm. with with that whole teeth. And this. I don't know. I mean, I like I like Jaws because I think he's actually a rather wonderful creation. I just don't think. I think you. I don't. I don't like him in the Bond films, but I still think he's a wonderful creation. Played by the actor Richard Keel, we should say, yeah, and played splendidly as well. Did exactly what he was in. It turns up that it turns up in Moonraker, which we're about to talk about. Before we before we leave Spy Lovely, um, it's a good film or a bad film. So far, we've got two good films. Um, I don't think it's an, an entirely awful film, but mm. for me, it's not one that I enjoy. But I, I know you you have a lot of time. I've got a lot of affection for it, but I think at the same time, I think I would have to say it's quite a bad film. So, 
So, so far, Roger has made two good films and one bad film, in our judgment. Yeah. You listeners may disagree. Uh, we may have some means of contact. You're, you're being able to contact us and give us feedback, but we haven't figured that part out. No, no. We thought we'd get the podcast recorded first and figured out how we were going to actually um, aggregate it. But anyway. Yeah, but we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll find out. If, if you'll, you'll, well, you'll know because you're listening to it. <laughs> um, so, uh, um, Moonraker. Moonraker. It's the same film. Yes. That's why I love it. Except I mean, worse, in my opinion. In... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, well, one thing we should say is that there, during this time there were some stellar locations going on here. Mm. Uh, Moonraker's got some absolutely staggering locations in this film. I mean, you see Vienna, fantastic. Um, the the gondola chase it's, is ridiculous. Yes, yeah. I, I love the gondola chase actually. It's yeah. But you know, but I've, I've used this in a blog post before. Me and my friend, and you know, my friend. Martin is listening to this he'll know this exactly because he was the one who came up with it he said I don't understand how in the gondola chase they've had the big purse boat that's got the coffin that opens up and has knife throwing assassin who takes out a knife and tries to kill James Bond and then fails and then when James Bond makes a getaway they have the mach- they have the speedboat with the mach- guys with the machine guns waiting in reserve he said well why didn't they do that the other way around surely it would have been better to have got the speedboat first, um, but it's still a, a memorable, a memorable scene. It's kind of weird because, in a weird kind of way, it has almost nods to other films, which, when you think about, aren't, aren't particularly expected and aren't particularly Bond-like. But for me, obviously, with you've got that kind of odd, almost an odd little nod to Don't Look Now for me in there, and then with, with the Cape Cod as well, you've got an odd look to When Eagles Dare as well. well yeah, When Eagles Dare. Yeah, and, good point. Yeah. And it's kind of it's quite subtle because I think it's quite a knowing film but mm. at the same point I don't think it knows enough to realise quite how ridiculous it is. well I think actually no no I'll, I'll say towards the end I think it knows think just it knows how stupid well. it's getting yeah. but that's part of the problem in that I don't think that's quite Bond Bond yes it, it, it's quite knowing but there's a again there's a point where you're kind of reining it in and the point where you're going so far you think there's an element of self-parody in this yeah, and, and frankly, I mean, Austin Powers did that so much better than yeah. Moonraker did. Yeah, I mean, again, as the, as with the previous film, there are some fantastic technical aspects of this movie. The, the pre-credit sequence, the, the fight in midair while they're fighting over over a, a parachute, is extremely impressive. Given that you're talking about stuntmen being thrown out of an aeroplane, there's no CGI involved here. Um, there's no special effects. This is all done obviously everyone's you know got parachutes underneath their suits but you know you know this is extremely dangerous stunt work yeah and, and very impressive for all of that and shouldn't be forgotten about and, and one thing that I would like to say about these two movies that when they talk about you're not making films like that anymore they wouldn't make a film like that anymore because the insurance cost would just be completely out of the window it would be 
but as you say, it would be done. If you'd be done on a green screen like the Matrix, would, yeah, exactly. and it would actually not properly be quite as anywhere as fun. It wouldn't I mean, be as good. No, and that's where you know. I know we'll touch on this in other podcasts, but I think that's where the last Pierce Brosnan film, Die Another Day, Die another day yeah, because you CGI. Yeah, 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 you had that ridiculousness. Yeah, and it was absurd. Yeah, and they did it really badly as well. It was quite dull. Yeah, actually. Yeah, and you, and 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 the deal is with James with James Bond films is is that if you want to chuck a guy out of an aeroplane, you chuck a guy out of an aeroplane. Oh, if you're going to do an aeroplane fight, do do it well like you had in the Living Daylights. Sure, with, with the fight in the aeroplane that was hanging out the back. That was yeah. a brilliant. Scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean that that was that sort of like late period, the 1970s into early 80s. It was a bit of a golden era for for spunk, for stunt work, and for you know for action. I thought you said spunk work. I almost said spunk. Work. It was a golden period for that as well. Sure, it did also. Yeah, <laughs> but for stunt work as well. It was an absolute thank you for completely ruining my point. I was going to gloss over that one. That's fine. Um, but it was it was it was a golden shower. For- <laughs> God. <laughs> No, in for a penny, in for a pound. Yeah, my pure humour can't let something like that. Should, um, so for you, did, I mean... I love the film. Yeah. I love it, but it's not very good. No, I... I there's many elements, as you say, the gondola element, the cable car element, um, the fight with you know with the henchman where he goes into a drum. I think that's a wonderful ending. Yeah, yeah, with with Charm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, but there's some vicious moments in it as yeah. well. There was a, there's the, there's the girl who got uh, who, who got hunted down by the dogs and eaten. That's not nice. No. Um, it, but it's just to me there's, and I think this is perhaps more so, and this is why I dislike Moonraker more than the Spy You Love Me. And I think the Spy You Love Me just about knew how daft it really was but Moonraker I think there, there is actually potential lazy yeah it's lazy it's cliche and actually potentially there's a really good film in there yeah and having actually read Moonraker's one of the few books I've actually read it's a good book yeah and knowing the book it's probably a rare case where actually Fleming's done a much better job oh yeah than the film yeah, where you can't question, often yeah. say that with the books well that's a matter of a Opinion. We can have a conversation about that in future pods. Um, the Bond girls for both of these movies are quite dull. Forgettable, yeah. absolutely. Barbara Bath is okay. Uh, and there's this, she, she becomes quite interesting when obviously she realises that Bond has killed her lover. Yeah. But she just ultimately is just like classic 1970s submissive, you know, really not, not, not good at all. Uh, and Lois Childs is alright. She's pretty, but not a very good actress, no. I would suggest. So then we come to probably, for me, one of the most interesting, interesting Bond films in for what it is. It's not the most interesting film, but it's an no. interesting Bond film for. Um, Hang on. It's, it's an interesting Bond film for, for where it sits in the whole genre and, and canon and everything, and that's for your eyes only. Indeed. Which, on first thought, so I think a lot of people would probably, if they had to list their worst Bond film of all time, I think this one quite regularly comes up. Maybe mistaken. Though. Yes. But I, for many years, laboured under that same, 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 same feeling that this was a rubbish film. But in fact, I've, 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 I've re- rethought the whole thing, and in fact, Although it's got some utterly cringeworthy moments in it, 
it is generally speaking a decent film it's like, or at least it's very, at the very least it's okay this was a film where they went we're getting a bit silly let's try and nail it down a little bit isn't it? and they, they've almost gone too far, too far to compensate and one thing that I, I think I've said to you on, on several occasions it's actually a good spy film it's just not a very good James Bond film and I don't I think you can probably view the film if you just removed it completely from James Bond's canon you'd go this is, this is a decent film yeah, this is yeah. a bad film yeah. because you've got this expectation of what Bond should be mm. and by that point you had Roger Moore he, admittedly he creaked a lot more in the subsequent he was creaking badly by that stage if it was if, if it had been an adaptation of an Alistair McLean novel it would have been absolutely fine yeah as I say it's kind of Icarus Files type, mm-hmm. type film yeah. it, it's, a, it's yeah. a spy novel yeah a little bit more like, yeah I mean it's got it's, it's quite a spectacular um, the ski chase in there is pretty impressive and they go down the toboggan slope that's quite impressive the car chase with the Citroen is was, was, was the big selling part of the movie yeah I had a, a toy car of the 2CV of the Citroen uh, when I was a boy uh, and that, that was that was a big selling point um, Melina Havelock, the Bond girl, had a crossbow, and, and I think they, they tried to try and perhaps make the female characters a little stronger. Yeah, and, with varying and, degrees of success. And I like—I mean, one thing I actually quite liked about this film, in a way, which you do have, actually, almost—it's informed of a few subsequent films. But I like the fact that your, your villain was. Um, your villain was kind of initially presented as kind of... A the, good guy. Yeah, a yeah. good guy. And you had this cross and double cross. No, which there was is, a betrayal. Which exactly. is a wonderful spy kind of... Much more of a spy, yeah. I think. You, yeah. you need to have in any good Julian spy. Julian Glover, who is yes. an excellent, fantastic actor. Yeah. No, and, uh, there's no getting around that. And Topol, as well, who was Bond's sidekick. Who, uh, he was He was fantastic in that film as well. When I was a, 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 a boy uh, for a little while, I took to eating pistachio nuts purely on the basis of, 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 of Topol. I thought he was fantastic. Um, I mean, in terms of like, just, again, it's not classic Bond villainry, but it, it's still a very good villain because oh, yeah. they're really well acted. It's actually a surprisingly good character mm. for a villain. It's yeah. not kind of cartoon. Much more believable villain. Yeah, like Drax just yeah. felt like... Drax was cartoon. Cartoon. He was a super villain. He wasn't a natural villain. He was more like Doctor Doom or Darth Vader. You know, and and you, you've had that almost from, from the Blofeld period. Yes. Kind of the, the super villain. Almost probably starting to a point with Goldfinger, but he wasn't quite that big. He's laid the seeds. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, but, but you're talking when you talk. If you're talking about supervillains as Bond villains, then you're talking Blofeld, and then yeah, uh, Stromberg in, in Spy Who Loved Me and Drax in, in Moonraker were were kind of like Blofeld lights, really, uh, and unsatisfactory. Whereas yeah. Glover's character, Christatos, uh, was was not that at all. He was much more of a straightforward villain. Just generally speaking, another nice guy. Absolutely. Yeah, Got one more drinks, gentlemen. Should we have one? Yes. Yeah, two more. Lovely. Drinks. Cheers. Um, it's a traditional, uh, traditional interruption of pod for a drink, ordering drinks. No, I mean, I, I, I actually, I want to. Well, oh, it's still in my mind. There is a really good point in the film where. Um, 
I can't remember the character's name. Uh, apologies, no research involved in this whatsoever. Everything's from recall. So uh, in subsequent pods, we'll, we'll research a little yes. bit more. But yeah, at the yeah. moment, this is almost issue... This is edition one. Edition zero. Edition zero, in fact, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, but the character who, 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 who kills uh, Ferrara and then uh, he's driving the Mercedes and Bond kills him in cold blood. Um, and I know killing people in cold blood is not very nice, but I, I've always been like that about Bond because I read I, I read all the books and he's a much much different character in many ways, um, and I, I like that aspect of him and the fact that you know that when he when he kicks the Mercedes off the cliff and down there and, 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 and yeah. lets him die basically he didn't attempt to save him and he murdered him basically. In, in the books he almost has a touch of the Patrick Bateman's about him I think. Yes. American Psycho and American Psycho. Yes, that's that's an interesting comparison. Um, I don't quite think he's quite as vicious. No, but there is um, kind of. But there, when, I mean, what Fleming conveys um, a controlled instability about the character. Mm. This is a man who's capable of doing really unpleasant and deeply awful things. Um, and that didn't really come out that much in the movies, and that's fair no, enough. Well, because, no, maybe not you know, Daniel Craig is probably, Daniel Craig is probably the closest. Tim Dalton had a go in Living yes. Daylights. We'll talk about those movies one day, some, some other time. But but uh, but that was the only time I think that Roger showed that kind of that ele- element of Flem- of the Fleming character, which, which Connery captured reasonably well. You have yeah, to say, and, yeah. and more didn't. Like Connery Connery looked like he was going to kick off everywhere he went. That was the thing that Connery looked. They didn't need to have moments like that with Connery because he's always like that, apart from Diamonds Are Forever. But for the the films that that, that I think it was was certainly from Mushroom Love, Goldfinger, a dangerous character, very, very dangerous character. Connery exuded that beautifully. Roger Moore never did that, for what it's worth. He never did that. He was never supposed to. No. But, I mean, you know, that is one of the reasons why people don't necessarily dig Roger Moore's. I guess it depends. Where, I mean, from you, you kind of grew up because Moore was there when you were born, and, and you kind of grew up with him. Whereas I, yeah. I had a kind of my, I was born in late Roger Moore period. In the, you know, um, I probably not kind of uh, AR or AC uh, after Connery period <laughs> or something like that. Um, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Lovely. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, I mean, I think you probably say with with more as well. I because ha- I had that kind of that, and then the, the gap into Dalton. I didn't really have a bond to fix onto. Mm. Whereas, you know, I think that's why I followed my dad. It's like again, football. You know, you follow you follow your dad's favourite bond. Of course, and yeah. my one was was Connery. We've got two more to talk about. We have. I wonder whether or not we should take a break, shall we? Yeah, and uh, wet our whistles slightly, and then we'll talk about those last. Too. What yes. do you reckon? I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Okay, I shall find the pause button on this thing. Hello, and uh, welcome back to the second part of the Odd Job Pod with Gary Andrews and Terry DeFellin, um, where we're discussing the um, the canon of Roger Moore, James Bond film. Discussing Roger's canon. Well, <laughs> oh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> It's what he would have wanted. It's what he would have wanted. <laughs> <laughs> that 
was our Moonraker moment. So when you left us in the first part, we were with For Your Eyes Only. Um, do you think, on, on reflection, before we move on to the last couple in there, do you think that was a good film or a bad film? For years, I thought it was a dreadful film. Um, I'm not going to explain why, but but because but I was I was very young and I just thought for me it wasn't it, it just wasn't a proper Bond film at all. I didn't like it. A lot of it was because I just didn't like Bill Conti's soundtrack. Um, but there were other elements of it. I thought the character of Mimi was cringeworthy and maybe one of the, oh, one of one of possibly yeah. for me the worst Bond. Really, yeah, just dreadful, awful, awful character. Um, but um, I watched it on ITV4 recently in one of those moments where a Bond film suddenly comes up on TV and you don't have anything to do for the next two hours and you go, ah, Fear Eyes Only style. I think I'll watch it. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it and I appreciated it all. And I, I, I chose only to see the good things in this film. It's and there's more, much more good than there is bad in this It's film. a more adult film yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, Bond it, it can appeal to a lot of, to sort of the teenager and the, and the kids. And for me, this... It, it doesn't do that at all, which if in some respects is no bad thing. So it's a good film. For me, I I like it. I think it's I think it's a bad Bond film, but it's a good film. Good film generally. Yeah. Alright, that'll do. Yeah. So three out so three out five three good films and two bad films so far. Yes. So Roger's not doing too bad. No, better than the well. Mind you, we've got a we've got a couple more to go then. Okay. Octopussy. Octopussy. Yes, which in even right. in the title you have a feeling where this one's going. Well, gets we've even seen the Roby from here because it's the first one where it's based on well, I say base where it's taken the, the title is taken from a short story rather than from a novel. Well, I um, believe he was just hunting down. Yeah, Major Dexter Smythe. Indeed, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, Oh no, I'm lying. For Your Eyes Only was a short story as well. I do apologise. For Your Eyes Only was a short story as well. I do apologise. Anyway. Fabergé eggs. Yes. It starts quite promisingly. Mm. It does have that quite interesting uh, uh, aeroplane pre-credit sequence. Yes. But it also has the really, really bad Fidel Castro impersonator in it, which is not great. No. Uh, the whole Cuban thing is not cool at all. It, it, it's For, you know, a, left, a left-leaning man like myself, you know, I don't find that kind of stuff cool whatsoever. I, I don't, I mean, for a centrist man as myself, I just don't find it funny or good or... Well, no. In fact, there's nothing you can really recommend about it that. It wasn't... The, the whole thing... I mean, you know, I mean, it was quite impressive in that, oh, look, they've got a... What are they? They're called acrylites or something like that. Yeah, I think so. And uh, you could see it was one of those situations, look, we've been able to get this and isn't that great? But actually, the truth no. is, they didn't really do anything particularly good with it. They were about that big, um, that big hanger. That was quite cool. Yeah, I mean... But, I mean, they could have just done that any other way. I mean, ultimately, it's not... In terms of the payoff, it, they, they, they worked pretty hard to, for that payoff. It's not exactly a guy skiing off a, a cliff, is it? No. For me, the, the, there's... 
For me with Octopussy, there's, there's two good things about Octopussy. One is Maud Adams, who I'm sure we're going to come to. Bye. And the second is the train fire. The train fire. Which is, is a train one stuff. Bond trains in Bond is, is, is genuinely. When, when good you stuff. see a train come into a Bond film, you know that you're going to enjoy the scene. There's a train fight in, in, in Spy and Love It's worth bearing in mind. Yes. We should not forget that. Living that die as well. There's, in fact, there's two. So there's three altogether because um, Live and Let Die and Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, an octopus. And then you, you've obviously got Goldeneye as well, which had. Uh, yeah, that's some... true. Yeah, but in terms of Roger Moore, I mean the yeah. best train fight is obviously between Sean Connery and Robert Shaw in From Rush with Love. Yes. But we're digressing, but I mean that's inescapable. That is a fact. Insofar as you can be factual about, you know, opinions, that is a that is a fact. Um, Do you think it is kind of like the? <laughs> this is a massive digression tangent here. Let's digress. Do you think it's kind of like having a train fight? It's kind of like a, a massive crowd-pleasing government policy where you suddenly go, we don't want to do. Throw in a train fight. These, These, always, train. Work. These always work. And all the Bond fans go, yes, <laughs> yeah, I love trains. <laughs> I love a train fight. I think there's an element of train spotter in. in, in <laughs> In, in James Bond geeks, I think they love it. Yeah, they love a good train fight. Um, Octopussy, yes, has a good. Uh, does have an excellent train sequence all told. Maud Adams is is, is lovely. She's also very strong um, and capable, and not quite so limp and rubbish as a lot of Bond. No, bond, she, she's bond probably of that are. era of the, of the Roger Moore era. She's probably the the strongest for me. Yes, she's still submissive. Yes, but she's still pretty strong for all that. But I mean, they're all. They're, I think they're all submissive. Oh, really? God, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's, yeah, there's no question of that at all. Um, Stephen Burkhoff, though. Yeah, um, I like Burkhoff. Yeah, I think to a point, but I like Burkhoff as an actor. I feel they could have used him better. Yeah, he's a bit cheesy, wasn't he? He's the kind of. Burkhoff is the kind of person who you, you'd like to really see. I don't know. I don't think he was used well enough as no. for, for a man that is can play crackers incredibly well. Mm. I don't think they used him as well as they could have done. Um, Louis Jordan, of course, is the is is the other villain. There's two. There's two yeah. principal villains in this movie. So he enjoys the distinction of, of having two two principal master villains, and then you've got Gabinda, the the henchman, who I thought was splendid. Yes, that, that is, as a henchman go, he he basically. Very well actor in, yeah. in India apparently a very capable and, and he was fine he was he was menacing and he was perceptive and, 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 and he was quite uh, terrifying for me when yeah. I watched it as a small child yeah, actually he was really the one wasn't Jules that terrified me yeah. it was Gabinda he, yeah. he was a really scary was a scary guy character um, Louis Jordan has got uh, Graham and I my friend Graham um, every time we play backgammon <laughs> and when one loses and the other wins the winner the, 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 the loser always goes spend the money quickly Mr. Bond <laughs> uh, from this particular line because it's uh, the only Bond film in which uh, they have backgammon uh, usually it's Baccarat uh, 
but uh, and, uh, being a big gap backgammon player I, I particularly enjoy that scene the whole double sixes fancy that and so on my, my problem as well is that for me then this is in any film unless you're specifically making a film about a circus do not bring circuses into films so you think circuses generally speaking are bad I'm, I'm, why is that why did you fall into a vat of circus when you were a baby <laughs> no, or something I just think especially in kind of when you're an action movie especially perhaps right. not necessarily in other things other movies okay. as well but putting a circus in an action movie for me is kind of one of those big klaxons that goes off and yells oh look comedy the uh, di- disarming the nuclear bomb while wearing a clown costume is, a, is, is, is the element of parody that we're talking about earlier aren't there yeah, yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's difficult to take the whole thing seriously there isn't it which is an action give- sorry for the spoiler by the way <laughs> hope anybody who listens to this has seen both. You never know. You don't know. You don't know. But, I mean, given actually the, the severity of the situation you're kind of talking about, you know, nuclear cold war going into a, a, a proper nuclear war mm. and having a man in a clown costume disarm it. Yeah. The, you know, you can see some films and even some Bond films doing that well, but by this stage... Mm. I mean, it's, the, the Fabergé egg thing is quite intriguing. Yeah. In the beginnings of the film when they're going to the auction and they're trying to find the owner of the Fabergé egg and all of that there's an element of intrigue there which is quite interesting you kind of almost hope it's going to be a slightly better version really of, of, of mm. For Your Eyes Only where they, they're taking that spy element opening with action sure um, the uh, the climax at the end where James Bond is uh, sliding down the banister and then has to shoot the little pineapple comb at the end of it to make sure that he doesn't get nobbled. It's quite amusing as well. Um, Q and the balloon is bad. Yeah. That's bad. That's the, not good. There's so many... There's a nice car chase in that film, which people may forget about. It's no, a very I, good I car think chase. I've forgotten about that. Where he gets into a... I think it's... I forget... I think he's an alpha. I think he hijacks someone's alpha. He steals someone's alpha. And then he drives off there and he gets chased by the Politzai in BMWs. And that's a good... And unlike... Uh, whenever uh, James Bond gets involved in car chases with, um, with uh, American policemen, they're always bumbling. Uh, and they're always constantly crashing their cars, again, in a kind of smoking the bandit style. But in Octopussy, he gets into a car chase with German police who are stereotypically efficient yeah, yeah. and they, have, they use proper stunt drivers there and it's all good stuff it's a decent car chase so that's that's worth going in mind so if you're looking for a little vignettes within there that's decent yeah I mean I'm, for, for me if we're going is this a good film or not I I can't I can't love Octopussy I might have to take issue with you here we might have to have a split decision there's many there's many good elements about it but for me as a film as a whole it's one that I'll sit through but I'm, I don't necessarily enjoy the film as a whole I, I, I just don't it's cracking locations yes it does admittedly have that rather absurd manhunt 
Oh God, yes. <laughs> and of course, he's got the safari suit. We shouldn't forget about the safari suit, which is pretty <laughs> iconic. Yeah, and um, I think the thing is that I'd rather forget about the safari <laughs> suit. I think a lot. Of, I'm sure we can probably Roger Moore would rather forget that safari. <laughs> no, suit. I, well, I, don't know. I don't think so. It was the pinnacle of eighteen um, chic. Um, it just, I'm going to defend this movie. Okay. I think this movie is actually a lot better than maybe you, you think it is. We know. might have to cast this over to the listeners, you know. Yeah, I, I think this one Let's is... hold judgement on it for the time being. We'll talk about A View to Kill, and then, you know, we'll the, the, then we'll revisit Octopus once we've had some time to dwell okay. on the map. So, A View to a Kill. This is Roger Moore at his most creaky. He is creaking by this point. Very, very, very creaking. Yeah. And, and okay. But, right, okay, so that's that's a big minus against this movie. Creaking. Particularly next to Tanya Roberts. Yes. Who is not a very good actress. No, but no. she's, you know, she's, she's very lovely. She's, she's very pretty, but she's, yeah. she's an incredibly obviously serious. A weak character, yeah, yeah. A weak character, a weak actress. However, the real Bond girl in this movie was Grace Jones. Which was an inspiring She was magnificent. Casting. Yeah. Mayday this is... This film is all about the 80s. Yeah. This is a massive 80s statement. Grace Jones personifies that decade anyway, and, part, and much of its culture is popular culture. And Christopher Walken... This film really is about Christopher Walken and Grace Jones. It's really got little to... Very little to do with Roger Moore. For, uh, forget a, yeah, yeah. forget yeah. about Roger Moore. For, yeah. Completely on this. Because... I think this is why this movie is, is, is one, of the, one of the great James Bond films. Yes, for that reason. Which is kind of funny because when you look at it, there's so many reasons that you could you could tick off going. You know, you put it down on paper, and then probably if you put a for and against column, you'd probably find so much in the against column. But yes, when you watch it as a whole, yeah, it's, it's a wonderfully look. Yeah, it, it combines the best elements of being bonkers, mm-hmm. brilliant villain, brilliant yeah. casting, with yeah. the exception of the Bond main. The exception the good people. The, yes. good, the, the goodies in it are no good. The, it's, this film is all about the bad it's all about the 80s this is coke filled 80s nonsense and it's all the more glorious <laughs> it's glorious yeah. it's fantastic yeah. we've got the Gary's iPad up there and we're looking at the film poster and the film poster is set with James Bond and uh, Tanya Roberts and they're standing astride one of the great uh, arms of the Golden Gate Bridge that's how drug induced this movie is it is, it is basically and a you have, you have an airship ride. in there as well just yes. in the yeah, they have this big fight. Christopher Walken is a, a, a product of uh, Nazi genetic engineering, um, which basically is, is, is just a, a massive euphemism for for uh, high-end yuppie drug culture. It's it's glorious, and he does it beautifully. Grace Jones again is, is his sidekick. Nick, Fantastic. He's got he's got Doctor Carl Mortner, who's this this crusty Nazi that they dug out from somewhere. Elements of Doctor Strange loving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, really seriously, you know, you know, he's got a monocle and everything. I mean, you couldn't be more crustily Nazi if you tried. He's absolutely straight out of the Peter Sellers school of of how to play a Nazi. He's absolutely brilliant. 
it's got I would Pat- say no more than it's got Patrick McNee in it as well. Yeah, he is the only decent good guy in that movie actually because he's got Patrick McNee. And all, I mean, also as well. I mean, I think the the fact that you've got the plot that he's trying to destroy Silicon Valley is actually really mm. fascinating. For yeah. The period. Yeah. The period. It's in you now when you look. I'm look a uber twisted capitalist, and yeah. I want to, and, and I'm and I'm a monopolist, and I want to take over the world through capital. That's what I'm trying to do. He is. He's, he's like Gordon Gecko on scale. There's almost elements if we're sort of looking casting forward. It's not always obvious. But I almost think there's elements of Jonathan Price's Elliot Carver in Max Zorin, albeit in a slightly toned down, slightly different yeah. way. But for me, Price doesn't finesse that role in any way like the way that Walken does. It's a tragedy that Walken. I mean, that, that Walken only appeared. That character only appeared once. Max Zorin appeared once in that franchise. He was brilliant and he made that film. And that is why that film is a good film. Yeah. It also has, let's also go back, the pre-credit sequence has a superb ski chase. And it has uh, early examples of snowboarding as well, which in the early 1980s was still very much in its infancy. Um, albeit the California Girls cover was pretty shit. And it also, for me, actually has one of my favourite Bond themes in Duran Duran. You like the Duran Duran film? I, I'm good on I mean, this is, I'm, I'm actually quite yeah. a big Duran Duran fan, which um, is... Well, podcast can bring out all kinds of yeah, admissions and, I, you know, I, I, just, I mean I'm not a massive fan of the kind of era or, or the ethos no. just when you take the music as a whole mm. they produce some absolutely brilliant songs and, that's a decent tune and yeah. this is this is one of them it's just it hits the most because because of I think as well you say you know Zorin being that, that uber capitalist the yuppie filled coke nuts nuts plot on there and the iconography suddenly Duran Duran makes Perfect yeah. sense to put in this there. film. This movie clicks. If and it had been made by, if it, I mean, I mean, the only the only thing that lets it down is, is Roger yes. and Tanya Roberts. Alas, if they were a, a more dynamic actors playing the roles in this movie, it would be a cult classic. I'm sure. Yeah, it would be. A, it would, and, and it's a film that is well worth revisiting as a consequence. Well worth revisiting. I think actually, weirdly, I, I once watched um, A View to a Kill back to back with both short circuit films. Which made a really interesting wow. viewing because they're obviously reasonably similar period. As yeah, well. of course, yeah. And there's actually an odd mount that you can kind of cross over and just kind of the film stop, how it looks, everything. It, it's quite it's, weird. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, mean, I, I, I don't necessarily recommend doing this. No, no. <laughs> Thanks for the tip. Um, I mean, the, 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 bit, the bit, you know, at Main Strike when they, they massacre all of the people that have been working for them is genuinely. It really shocking, and they're laughing while they're doing it. Genuinely, you know, very raw, really brutal, really vicious uh, film, really. And everyone is like, you know, out for each other, and nobody, you know, there's no, you, you know, there's, there's very little trust going on there. David Yip is one of the good guys in that movie as well. He's in that film. It, the supporting cast for the good guys is very good. Patrick McNee and David Yip, two very, very accomplished actors and very and you, much loved actors as well. And you wouldn't have even thought as well that the kind of the heart of the film, if you said the film has a heart, you wouldn't have necessarily said Grace Jones is going to be the heart of the film. No, but, but to me, she she yeah. is the kind of she's almost the heartless. She's the moral yeah. heart of the film. Yeah. So there's just so many brilliant things yeah, about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I wish I wish they the soundtrack and I as a John Barry fan I hate to say this but the soundtrack was tired mm. very formulaic very I've similar like to the previous one yes so there was much of this film that was very formulaic but there was this film was 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 actually very close to being a complete masterpiece not just of James Bond but of of, of its time mm. but it, it does let itself down very seriously in certain areas um, and that's mainly surrounding the, 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 the main actors who are who are just you know just don't get it just don't get what they're involved in this is a brilliant film a brilliant film and it's definitely a it's a, it's a plus one I don't think we're in any doubt whether no. this is a good film or not no. we, we both I mean for me it's kind of the more period is is two brilliant films bookended with some iffy some good moments and bad moments mm. but, but if, you, if, yeah, if you bookended yeah. Roger Moore's James Bond's career you'd have to say actually watch the first see, one and watch the last yeah, one you can yeah. see the journey Ooh. sort of in there and it, it encapsulates both both parts of, yeah. of Bond and it almost you can see the transitions happening at both ends on there mm. but what went on in the middle yeah something to be desired well there's there's plenty to enjoy in the middle there's plenty to enjoy there's loads of fun to be had mm. I agree. If we were to toss it up, we would say that the Roger Moore era was genuinely good. We're talking about Spy Love Me and Moonraker as being films that we both agree are not good, although they have memorable and iconic moments within them. Yes, we're undecided about. We can't. You and I, we can't. We can't. We're we're, we're split in terms of. I think it's good. You think it's bad. There's enjoyment in there, and then you come to um, Your Eyes Only, which I think we both agreed is a good film, but Mm. it's not. It's not necessarily a bond. They're all flawed. All of these films are flawed. You you could argue that about all James Bond films, but certainly all the Roger Moore films, they're all flawed in their own way. But there is, but but, but I think the ones that we've talked about, particularly A Beautiful Kill, that film has a spark of genius about it, and I don't even know whether the filmmakers even realised what they were doing when they made it. And I, I think the thing for me, the biggest problem with the Roger Moore era, to me, probably comes back to what my dad said. And this isn't influenced by my dad, but the problem is, to a certain extent, Roger Moore. In that, when you hit a certain stage, I mean, he was forty-five when he took on the role. Yes, he was older than Sean Sean Connery when Sean Connery left. Which which is kind of yeah, it's weird. That that's to me is the biggest problem in that. They felt they had. They obviously knew that Moore couldn't do some more, some of the, the the stunts, which I suspect they probably would have if they had a younger actor. They might have pushed the boat. Well, George did a few of the, sp- the stunts. George Lazenby did a few of the stunts in in, in um, certainly a lot of the action scenes. George Lazenby did in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I think when they got George in, they were looking for a more dynamic character. But having said that, they wanted Roger before. They wanted Roger, I think. Serious Bondafars can, can correct me on this, but I'm certain that they tried to get Roger before they got him. It yeah, may I'm have been for Diamonds Are Forever, or it may have been for Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I can't quite and, recall. And strangely, I feel Roger Moore would have fitted Diamonds Are Forever much better than Sean Connery did. I like the film. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. But... Yeah, I, I, I don't think I don't I think that's a, that's a Roger Moore film masquerading as Sean Connery. Whereas I feel Live and Let Die is a Sean Connery is a Sean Connery film, but Roger Moore. Well, that's in an interesting theory. Yeah, and, and those two kind of feel to me slightly muddled up because of the act, 
the, the wrong actors mm. or the wrong Bond you see yes. in the film but they still both but it's interesting because Connery wasn't supposed to do Diamonds Are Forever he was, supposed, he was asked to come back because uh, it had not worked out with George Lazenby so they asked him to come back and he said yes and I think he was rather reluctant and it sounds like that shows and it's, yes well yes for me it's, a, it's, a, it's the worst Bond film of them all but again we, we, we can have this debate uh, another time yes There's plenty to talk about on the odd job pod in this future is. and we'll, we'll have we'll have done research and everything for the subsequent we may have even watched the films again exactly but this one is much more of a on the fly really an introduction to us more yes. than anything else and our bond values you, you know where we stand I'm, exactly and we I'm hope a Connery man although I, have, I haven't even brought in my love for Timothy yeah, Dalton we haven't stage. talked about Tim Dalton yet no have we? we haven't no. but I love Tim Dalton as well so we're in we're in for a treat there when we start talking about absolutely. him absolutely yeah. these two rather wonderful films yeah I think you have and there's so many other aspects of James Bond to talk about um, and we look forward to uh, talking about them over the oncoming months this is not going to be a weekly thing it's going to be no. a more like a monthly two monthly thing yeah, exactly. if anything exactly you know we, we don't we don't expect you to necessarily uh, download we expect you to listen yes yeah we're not on iTunes that much is certain not at all. Um, we haven't established anything like that, although I think maybe we might set up a little wee Twitter yeah, and then do it that way. Go, go for maybe that a way. Tumblr or you, something. You're kind like that. of hearing the, the genesis of it. Indeed. The, yeah. Really. Edition zero. Exactly. Um, if you liked it, um, thank you very much. I, mm. I, I really hope you enjoyed it. Because yeah, give us some laugh. Tell us how much you loved yeah. it. That'll be great. We, we love Bond. Um, and, you know, I, I might actually go back this evening and see if I can find a copy of uh, A View to a Kill. I'm That's what I want to hear. That's what we want to hear. Um, we want you all to go back to wherever you are now go back dust off your copy of A View to a Kill and watch that film again it's much better than you think it is indeed thank you very much for listening uh, I've been Gary Andrews and I've been Terry DeFenner and uh, until next time whenever that may be goodbye goodbye <laughs> <laughs>